Well, if it's Monday, that means it's time for a We Tackle Life podcast. Glad to have you guys with me. I'm Bruce Hooley. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Ohio State, the Browns, and the Bengals going into the weekend. What are the odds you would have picked the Bengals as the only one of those three to win? (laughs) But that's how it turned out. Happy to have you with me here on a Monday, September the 13th. I'm a year older. Yesterday was my birthday. Shout out to all my uh, friends who came to the surprise party last night. Yes, my wife surprised me with a surprise birthday party, and it was phenomenal. And so uh, a lot of smiles, even though it was a uh, tough weekend for the Buckeyes, and a lot of smiles, even though the Browns proceeded to blow a huge early lead against the Chiefs. But at least my friend John, a Steeler fan, was happy about it. Okay, you'll be happy if you Buy your coffee from my friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters in Mechanicsburg. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com is the website. You'll love their coffee. You'll love it even more when you get 15% off by using the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. We served Hemisphere Coffee at the party last night, and we got lots of thumbs up on it. So you will as well. And you'll also know that you're supporting ministry efforts around the world. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, promo code WETACKLELIFE, Indonesia, Nicaragua, Thailand, Ethiopia, just some of the countries where they buy their coffee. You will not be disappointed. You are disappointed, however, if you're an Ohio State fan, and if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you are a fan, and you are disappointed, and I don't blame you. Oregon, a 14-ish point underdog, comes into Ohio Stadium and wins the game by seven, but really comfortably. They played from ahead the whole night. They really never made Oregon take a snap in that game where they felt the duress that most opponents are all too familiar feeling in that environment. And so you got to give it up to Mario Cristobal having his team ready to play. You got to give it up to Joe Moorhead, their offensive coordinator. And I'm going to adopt a new rule. And my new rule is (laughs) If a team in green comes into Ohio Stadium and they're missing the one guy that I'm absolutely positively certain they have to have to win the game, uh, I'm going to bet on them to win it anyway. Because uh, Michigan State, 2015 without Connor Cook at quarterback, and now Oregon, 2021 without Kayvon Thibodeau at defensive end, didn't matter. Uh, Both times, Ohio State lost. And I'm stunned that Ohio State lost to Oregon. I'm even more stunned that Oregon was the more physically dominant team and that Oregon was the better coach team. I mean, they really were. And I'm not saying Ohio State has bad coaches with them. They got outcoached. Their players got outplayed. Their coaches got outcoached. When that happens, you're going to lose. And they did. So, obviously, the stats bear out and the score bears out that Ohio State's players got outplayed uh, three times. Oregon runs the same play to score on a run left to the short side. And the fourth time, they probably could have scored on it. They just decided, hey, why don't we throw it off this? It's a run-pass option. We've scored three times on the run. Why don't we throw? And the tight end's wide open for what proved to be the game-winning touchdown. So great scheme by Joe Moorhead in Oregon. Ohio State couldn't figure out how to adjust to it. It's really not that complex of a play. And they'll be seeing that a lot from Tulsa this week, Akron the next week, Rutgers in Maryland the two following weeks. None of them will have any success with it because their players aren't as good as Oregon's and their offensive line isn't as good as Oregon's. 
and that's what's really daunting is that you, you know, high state may lose a game. They usually don't get physically dominated. And so I get it. A lot of you are pressing the panic button on Ohio State's defense. I understand why. They have gotten lit up by now Bama and Oregon, two top 10 teams. What does this mean for the future? We'll get into all that. Uh, we'll get into the Browns. We'll get into the Bengals and, you know, a faith portion as well. So let's start with where everybody's focusing, Kerry Combs, defensive coordinator. Okay, so Kerry Combs, beloved, what's not to love, right? He's an assistant coach. He recruits fantastic. He puts a ton of guys in the top half of the first round of the NFL draft. He goes off to the Tennessee Titans. He coaches the DBs there. Jeff Halfley comes in in Ryan's day's first year. Jeff Halfley completely fixes the defense that was coordinated by Greg Schiano in the latter years of the Urban administration. And then Halfley, who is a superstar, flat out, gets hired by Boston College and Ohio State goes and gets Kerry Combs. Okay, nobody was against them going and getting Kerry Combs. Don't be coming at me now, you people who are like, oh, first year, he'd never been a coordinator before. Yeah, great. Hindsight's twenty twenty. When they had the chance to get Kerry Combs, everybody was over the moon about it because they thought, oh, super. We'll bring back Kerry Combs. He's an Ohio guy. We love his effervescence, his energy, his enthusiasm on the sideline. And he's got NFL experience. He's learned a lot more. He'll be, he'll be great. Everybody thought he'd be great. So far, hmm, not so great. Uh, he has presided over uh, a change in a lot of guys who were veteran players leaving and new guys coming in. His first defense did not have the chance with... COVID to practice a lot. I know the other team didn't practice a lot either, but that was a that was a blow. Secondary wise, got hit hard in the draft and playing a bunch of young guys. So some of that I'll get this year, no excuses. They're not a good defensive team right now. But the reasons they're not a good defensive team are not exclusively the purview of Kerry Combs. You can blast the single high safety look if you want that it looks like a overwhelmed defense now. It looks like the one that Anthony McFarlane from Maryland put up big numbers against. It looks like the one that Rondale Moore of Purdue put up big numbers against, and every guy who's ever played for Iowa at tight end put up big numbers against. But the fact is, there's nothing wrong with that scheme because that scheme was pretty doggone good when you had Jeff Okuda, Denzel Ward, Sean Wade, and then you put Jordan Fuller at safety. So it's not the scheme. The scheme for the players that they have, that's probably the issue. Because what I said about Shiano is what I'll say about Kerry Combs. Guys don't get dumber, okay? Now, Kerry Combs is never a defensive coordinator before, so maybe he's not all that. But I don't think typically bad coaches hide their way to million-dollar-plus jobs at Ohio State. I think they're young, and they don't have a lot of cover. And by that, I mean all problems Saturday began up front. They couldn't stop the run. Oregon gained seven yards a carry. I know, C.J. Verdell's long touchdown run made it look worse than it might have been statistically. But they got 14 yards untouched on a fourth and one. 
they got four and five yards whenever they wanted it, it seemed like. They were not behind the chains very often. And all of that is defensive line related. Their defensive line is not getting the job done. Though that's how I'll say it. A lot of people say their defensive line stinks or they're overrated. I don't know if they are or aren't. I know they're not getting the job done. They're not getting pressure on the passer. If you're not getting pressure on the passer and you can't stop the run as a defensive line, you got problems. You got big problems. And Kerry Combs could be the greatest defensive mind since Buddy Ryan. And he's not going to fix that. Because X's and O's don't fix Jimmy's and Joe's. And I know Zach Harrison was highly rated and... All the other guys are up there as well. Jack Sawyer, Tua Milau, on and on and on. Great. You can't walk out there on a Saturday afternoon and hit them with your five stars. You might think coaches aren't getting the most out of them, and you might be right. But the point is, they're not getting the job done. And if you're not getting the job done up front, that's an issue. I think it's pretty safe to say right now, Zach Harrison is not. Chase Young, Joey Bosa, or Nick Bosa. Tyreek Smith is not that. Maybe Jack Sawyer will be. Maybe Tua Milau will be. Right now, they're not. They got a month to get their confidence back. But what do you really know that you've gotten out of whipping up on Akron, Tulsa, Maryland, and Rutgers? You don't know. Then you go to Indiana. Then you get Penn State at home. And that will be when you'll have a better idea of knowing. It's interesting, this season just went from wake me when the playoff starts to, hmm, now i got to pay attention after the next month. Because at Indiana, it shouldn't be a problem, but now you can't just automatically say, oh, let's load 20,000 fans in a car and go over to Indiana and have a four-hour tailgate party watching us whip up on the Hoosiers. Uh, They look bad at Iowa. Maybe they look bad at Iowa because Iowa's really good. We'll get to Iowa here in a second. Uh, As for Penn State, I don't think they're great, but they won at Wisconsin, and their defense looked pretty good against Wisconsin, although i got to see Wisconsin do something against someone before I credit all of that to Penn State. Penn State's offense is still not very special, But against this defense, it might be more special than I think it is. Oh, by the way, Michigan is on the road. I'm not convinced Michigan's anything worth wasting much anxiety over. I know. 200-yard rushers against Washington. How good's Washington? Montana beat them. And Cade McNamara completed seven passes on Saturday. Seven. You're not going to beat Ohio State throwing... Uh, that few of times and completing that few of passes. You're also not going to have Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum with each over 150 yards on the ground. Ohio State's defense might not be good. It's not that bad. So I'm not certain about Michigan. But now you at least have to pay attention to at Indiana, Penn State at home, at Michigan, and Big Ten title game if it's Iowa. I don't think... Iowa plays at Wisconsin in late October. Look, Iowa's margin for error is probably pretty thin. They don't have the depth there that Ohio State typically has. 
Their middle linebacker is really good. If they lose him, a lot could change on defense for Iowa. But right now, Iowa's defense, they've played Indiana and Iowa State. And I know nobody's confusing Indiana and Ohio State with, you know, great NFL teams, great NFL or great college offenses. But they were ranked opponents, and Iowa did pretty much handle both of them and has given up 23 points in two games to two ranked teams. And oh, by the way, Iowa's won eight games in a row. So they're expecting to win, and they're winning. And they're doing it in dominant Iowa fashion. Which brings up a a parallel that I've made to several friends. I believe Saturday, and this is not a criticism of Ryan Day, it's just a factual observation on my part. I believe Saturday Ohio State wins that game if Jim Tressel's the coach. Why do I say that? Uh, Because... Jim Tressel was very comfortable doing something that Urban Meyer and Ryan Day are both very uncomfortable doing, and that is winning games in the 20s. Tress used to get laughed at, and I probably led the laughing, when he'd say any possession is a good possession if it ends with a kick, field goal, extra point, or punt. He valued possession. He was a master at managing the score of a game. I coined the term Tressel blowout for a game where you're down two scores, and you only have time to get the ball once. So you can't win that game. And he frustrated a lot of people at Ohio State where he wouldn't step on people's neck and beat them. And that's why Urban was so popular when he came in, because he just wanted to score 50 on you in the first half if he could. And often he did. But that mindset of we're a great offense, we got to score, comes back to haunt you when you're not scoring And you start thinking, what's going on? Why are we not scoring? We only have seven points at halftime. What's wrong? What's wrong? And you magnify what is a normal, tough football game to win because you're not comfortable playing it a different way than you envision it. Ohio State envisions winning the Oregon game 45-28, to the way they won the Minnesota game. They were very comfortable at Minnesota after they got the lead in the second half. They're not comfortable grinding out wins. They're just not. And that showed when they went for it twice on fourth down, didn't get it. When they had a chance early in the game to uh, kick like a 50-yard field goal, didn't do it. And you have to be comfortable winning games 24-21 to just as you are winning games 45-31. to If you're not... You're going to make a tactical decision during the game sometime in a series of games during the year that you look at afterward and go, hmm, maybe three would have been pretty good there. Or maybe a punt would have been pretty good there. So that's the one thing that I would say I notice about Ryan that I always notice about Urban was Urban thought, oh, if we're not scoring every possession, what is wrong with us? Sometimes there's nothing wrong with you. Just let the other guy have that ball for a while and see if he'll give it back to you or see if you know you get things together on the sideline and you come out of it and all that. So now we look at one loss, what's it do to their playoff hopes? If they win out, I still think they're in the conversation strongly. But this was their first loss at home since Oklahoma in 2018. And the phenomenon that endured that came back to get them in 2018 
is the exact same phenomenon they're dealing with right now. They lost to a team from another league that is presumed to be the class of that league. It was Oklahoma in 2018. It is Oregon now. They beat you at your place, just as Oklahoma did. I don't think Oregon's going undefeated. Oregon's got to play at UCLA. They got to play at Washington. They got to play at Utah. They got to play the Pac 12 championship game. Do I think they will win all those games? Probably not. Do I think they can? Yes. I think they definitely can. But here's the deal if they lose a game, I know you'll say, oh, they're out. Well, Oklahoma lost a game after they played Ohio State. But Oklahoma had a head-to-head win in Ohio Stadium. And it's very hard to make the case that you deserve to be in the playoff over a team that beat you head-to-head at your place. They might Ohio State might win that uh, decision, might win that argument, if Oregon loses, like, say, in the Pac-12 championship game and they get blown out. But if they lose... Middle of the year, early November, come back and close it strong. It's a really hard case to make. It's a really hard case to make that a team that beat you at home is not worthy of going to the playoff over you. So we'll see. How does this team bounce back? In 2014, when Ohio State lost to Virginia Tech in Week 2 at home, you would have never thought in that game, when the issue was the offensive line protection of JT Barrett, that that offensive line would end up being a bunch of man-eaters who would block for Zeke Elliott to run for a ridiculous amount of yards against Wisconsin and in two playoff games. But that's what happened. So teams can change dramatically from glaring deficits, glaring deficiencies, to being really good in the course of a year. But it is alarming that Ohio State, in two weeks, this is not just a one-week Oregon thing, But in two weeks this year, and going back to Bama last year, now mm, they don't look too good on the defensive side. Do not look good at all. The Tulsa game will be 3.30 this week. Akron is a night game (laughs) two weeks from now. Woohoo, you get your night game. Whoa, yeah, baby. Hopefully by the 7.30 start of the Akron game, uh, you'll be in the stadium by, I don't know, 8.15. Boy, did they have trouble getting people into the stadium Saturday. I could have predicted this. I'm sure there's a really good financial reason because everything they do at Ohio State is financial. Uh, I'm sure there's a really good financial reason why they're going to this cashless system and this app system for tickets and all that. And you can make the case on fraud and you know all that. I just think you got to have that so buttoned up that nobody gets held back. Nobody's missing game action, and they didn't have it that way. They did not have it that way. So we'll see. Uh, that's where we are. I don't think they're um, in. I don't think they're a, a horrible team, but they have problems. And uh, if they don't figure something out soon, I think those problems will manifest themselves in another loss at some point. And I'm not talking about in a playoff game. I'm talking about another loss at some point out there. Okay. Uh, Let me remind you that one of the great sponsors of the podcast is auinfo.com. I have a lot of uh, very successful people listen to the podcast. You might be a business owner. If you own a company and you're wondering, what the world am I going to do with this Joe Biden vaccine mandate? You have to protect yourself legally. You have to protect yourself from, you know, all kinds of 
employee questions. Do they want to work with that person who does have the vaccine or doesn't have the vaccine or whatever? Where are you going to go to get these questions answered? Yeah, you can call an attorney and you can pay billable hours and all that. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Well, I'm sure my friends at Willis Spangler Starling would love that and they would give good advice on that. But there's also another free resource, auiinfo.com. auiinfo.com is a health insurance brokerage. They are a rules compliance uh, expert. They offer HR counseling and tutoring, and they do it all free because when you engage in those kinds of activities, you need a partner company to do it with, provide insurance for your employees, provide HR training or whatever. So they give you the options, and then those companies pay AUI. So if you own a business and you'd like to get some questions answered quickly, efficiently, and most of all, correctly, auiinfo.com is the resource. Type your questions into their chat, get them answered auiinfo.com. All right, from the Buckeyes to another team that's enormously talented and proved to disappoint its fan base in the opener over the weekend. The Browns have the lead on the Chiefs, 22-10 to 10 at one point in time, and they end up losing the game 33-29. to 29. They ended up losing the game because, boy, I'm mentioning Jim Trestle a lot here. They didn't manage the clock well when they had the game under control. In that situation, the thing you do to allow the other team back into the game is you give them a quick score. Or in the case of the Browns, they gave them two quick scores. Uh, Jamie Gillen dropped a snap on a punt. He still had time to punt it. He didn't. And they gave him a big gut-breaking down-the-field throw to Tyreek Hill. I know Tyreek Hill's really good. I know he's really fast. You can't let him score like that so quickly. Tyreek Hill, 11 catches, 197 yards. Now, they're not going to run into a Tyreek Hill every week. Thank goodness. But it makes me wonder about this supposedly vastly improved Browns defense that you give them a 22-10 lead, and they can't hold it. I know Odell Beckham Jr. didn't play, but still... Get it done. Do I think Nick Chubb's going to fumble every week? No. Do I think Jamie Gillen's going to panic and drop the perfect snap every week? No. But when it happens, and when the Browns blow a game they should win, and when they lose again, it's not like it used to be when they didn't have talent and you'd think, well, they're going to figure out a way to lose. But they pretty much figured out a way to lose yesterday. And the number one most concerning thing should be the fact that, again, you put the game in the hands of Baker Mayfield at the end, and he could not win the game. Baker Mayfield at midfield with a minute, what, 30 on the clock? I, he wasn't taking—I I know uh, Romo said, oh, I can't take a sack there. What are you talking about? You can't take a sack there. It's first down. You're at midfield. It's not a 20-yard sack. Of course you can take a sack there. Get up, play again, or throw the ball into the ground. I know they got his ankles on the tackle, and he probably was trying to throw it out of bounds. I don't even know if I agree that he was trying to throw it out of bounds. He thought he could make a play. He threw the ball. Guy was covered, and it got picked, and the game's over. And you cannot do that. Look, 
I hate to invoke the name of the dearly departed Mike Pettin, Browns coach of years gone by, but Mike Pettin was right. The NFL is a pass-fail league. It's not a run-pass league. It's a pass-fail league. Did you win the game or did you not? Baker Mayfield did not win the game, and he has the talent around him to win the game, and he had everything going his way early on. I would like to think the Browns didn't go into the locker room at halftime and congratulate themselves about how great they are, but they just didn't have it in the second half. And the Chiefs never thought that game was lost. And I think the Browns kind of half thought the game was won. And when you put those two things together, that's going to result in a comeback victory almost every time. And that's exactly what we saw with the Browns on Sunday. I'm not saying they're going to do that every week. I would never insinuate that they are the inconsistent, ill-fated team they've always been since coming back in 1999. But that was a game that was very winnable, and they didn't win it. And if you're a Browns fan like I am, you've seen that (laughs) way more times than you care to admit. So very disappointing. Nevertheless, that's what happened. As for the other pro football team in Ohio, saving uh, the state from a winless weekend at the upper echelons of football, the Cincinnati Bengals impressed me Sunday. Their defense was very good. Could be because the Vikings' offensive line is very bad. Vikings didn't have a good preseason offensively. I don't believe in Kirk Cousins. But the Vikings have some guys, man. They got Justin Jefferson. They got Adam Thielen. They got... Dalvin Cook, they've got some dudes. And the Bengals pretty much dictated to the Vikings in that game. And at the end of the game, Zach Taylor, gutsy call going for it on fourth down. He could have just said, you know what, Um, like to win the game, 30 seconds left. I'm going to punt it. We're going to live to see another day. Instead, he went for the win. And I don't know if Zach Taylor called the uh, little pass from Joe Burrow to C.J. Uzama or if Joe Burrow checked out of that at the line. Doesn't matter because they're all responsible for getting that done, making the adjustment, making the execution go well. They did. Bengals got it. They kicked the game-winning field goal. Bengals are 1-0. Congratulations. Joe Burrow is a special guy. And the Bengals have talent. Joe Mixon... In tandem with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase looked good yesterday. And we know Tyler Boyd is good and Uzama is good. Their defense with the former Brown, Larry Joby looked good. Jesse Bates made a huge play forcing a fumble against the Vikings when it looked like they were going to win the game. Pay Jesse Bates, by the way. Did you see what T.J. Watt did for the Steelers after they paid him the money? He was huge in the Steelers' win in Buffalo. So pay Jesse Bates. He deserves it. He's earned it. You want to keep Jesse Bates. If you don't keep Jesse Bates, you're going to demoralize your team. Why would anybody play hard to get a contract out of the Bengals if Jesse Bates hasn't gotten one? They wouldn't. So pay Jesse Bates and keep Joe Burrow protected and onward and upward for the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay, we got more NFL to get to and we got more college football to get to. Let me uh, remind you that, as I said earlier, Willis Spangler Starling, the law firm of choice of Bruce Hooligan of the We Tackle Life podcast. Find Willis Spangler Starling on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, just a little bit north of Mill Run. Their firm is expanding and growing, and that's 
a credit to their work and to your trust in them. And I know the partners at Willis Spangler Starling appreciate that. Will's estate planning, probate, personal injury, employment law, all kinds of legal issues. They have the capacity and the ability to undertake and to deliver you service with the utmost of integrity, character, and expertise. Willis Spangler Starling, located on Truman Boulevard, as I said, online located at willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. That's W-I-L-L-I-S.com. Did you see the uh, Kevin Warren Twitter pick on Saturday in the press box with his partner from the Pac-12, George Klavikoff, and they're kind of doing the bro hug thing with the mask on. Then Fox Big Noon kickoff catches them with no masks on. And then later in the game, they had the masks on. So I don't know if Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther called him and goes, hey, you're inside, put a mask on. Or if they just decided it was a bad look for the commissioners of the two conferences that last year tried to uh, screw us out of college football to, in the midst of a indoor mask mandate in Columbus, Ohio, take their masks off and sit far less than six feet apart from each other and talk to each other. They're fully vaccinated. They would never say, though, hey, you don't need to wear a mask if you're fully vaccinated because that would go against all the falderall that's out there. But that was kind of funny. Warren and the guy from the Pac-12 are on camera with no masks, and then the next time they were shown, they had masks on. Uh, As for the other college football games on Saturday, I touched on Iowa a little bit. Iowa, extremely impressive. Uh, They do not look to me like a team that is definitely better than Ohio State, but you always have a chance when the other team, you know, is a champion of its division. My mind would have said Iowa beating Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. Before Saturday, I would have given that a 10% chance of happening. After Saturday, I would give that a 35% chance of happening. Uh, I still think Iowa is athletically challenged, but they have a way of kind of slogging the game up, making it slow down, playing you pretty tough. And if Ohio State can't figure out how to run the ball, it's going to be a problem for them. Master Teague, did Master get any carries Saturday? I don't remember one. They are rolling with Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. The Travion Henderson I get, the Mayan Williams part I don't get. You say, oh, did you see his touchdown the first game? Dude, I couldn't have run that in, but I'd have got 30 on that play. There was nobody over there. That was a defensive bust by Minnesota. You think Master Teague wouldn't have scored on that? Everybody would have scored on that. So uh, I would not be ready to give up on Master Teague if I'm Ryan Day, but looked like they have since Oregon did not see number 33 carrying the ball even one time on Saturday. Now, to the NFL we go, and there is, I called up my Google News stories today, and I have to laugh at this story on the line about online about Urban Meyer from CBS Sports. Uh, NFL insider Jason Lockenfora. Now, look, I don't know Jason. I've talked to him a time or two. Been on my radio shows over the years. He does a good job for CBS. I'm not, not saying he doesn't. And he's only reporting what's going on. It's just that if you have ever been around Urban Frank Meyer, this kind of a report, you like go, 
Yeah, who wrote this? Captain Obvious? Here's what Jason Lockenfora reports. There have he says everybody's keeping their eyes on Urban Meyer has become unhinged at times during his first months with the Jaguars. There have been repeated issues with other coaches on the staff with Meyer's temper and lack of familiarity with the ebbs and flows of the NFL calendar rubbing the Jacksonville Jaguars staff and players the wrong way, sources said. There is a disconnect at times between the members of the staff with extensive pro experience and those who lack it. And morale has suffered as the outbursts have continued. Meyer's fiery remarks to players and coaches after games have already struck many as bizarre. One source tells CBS Sports, quote, He has everyone looking over their shoulders already. He becomes unhinged way too easily. And he doesn't know how to handle losing, even in the preseason. He loses it and wants to take over the drills himself. It's not good. Okay. Raise your hand if you're surprised. No, no, keep both hands on the wheel. Because if you've been at all paying attention to Urban at Ohio State or Nick Saban at Alabama, that's how they coach. That's how they have coached. That's how they are coaching. And that is how they always will coach as long as they coach. So Urban has to adjust to the NFL. This was the thing we all knew. He said he could do it. Doing it and saying you can do it are two totally different things. And so, do I think Urban's going to flame out and be gone from Jacksonville in a month? No, I don't. Do I think that he, this time, is going to have to change? Whereas at Ohio State, all he did was print up how he was going to change on a pink piece of paper and relax slightly Everybody who was around him at Ohio State will tell you the whole kinder, gentler urban, pink contract urban, low-key urban, never critical urban was a myth. A myth. Doesn't mean you can't coach the way he wants to coach and win. I'm not saying the game's passed him by or anything stupid like that. He's one of the greatest coaches in college football history, and he knows the sport, and I have no doubt that he can get the Jacksonville Jaguars to respond to his coaching and his motivation. But it's a different deal than it is coaching in college. There is no NFLPA for college players, although there might be one coming with name, image, and likeness. And so you can essentially demand a lot of the players, demand a lot of your coaches. They're willing to do it because, A, there's no law against it, and B, they know it's going to get them to a great place. But is it challenging? Yes, Will it always be challenging working for Urban Meyer? Yes, it will. Now, I'm just going to throw this out. Clay Helton at USC is on thin ice, and it would not stun me if Clay Helton got fired and USC came at Urban after the season and Urban said, you know what, I'm not cut out for this NFL stuff. But college... That I can do. And he might end up at USC. Wouldn't shock me. Just saying. Maybe he'll be done if he flames out in Jacksonville. I th- I'm sure he said at some point, this is it, this is it. Didn't he say that at Ohio State? Yes. Did he say that at Florida? Yes. The man loves co- coaching football. He can't stay away from it. And as long as his health holds up, he shouldn't stay away from it because he's really good at it. So <laughs> I was amused by Urban Meyer unhinged. Yeah, sure. Right. Now, any other breaking news? No, I thought not.
Okay. Uh, the uh, Jags did lose to the Texans yesterday, so no wonder he's mad. He lost to Tyrod Taylor. And Spiel's Lions also lost to Jimmy Garoppolo, a brief two-snap view of Trey Lance and the San Francisco 49ers, 41-33. to I have not reached out to uh, the big man to see how he's processing his first NFL loss. Um, but at least, you know, the rest of his division, the Bears lost to the Rams, the... Packers lost, and the Vikings lost to the Bengals. So didn't lose any ground in the black and blue division. Uh, As for the Pittsburgh Steelers, they won their opener. They play on 98-9, the answer. And T.J. Watt, fresh off his big fat salary, uh, was disruptive with two sacks. I was pretty surprised that the Steelers beat the Buffalo Bills on the road. Very surprised by that. Okay. In the faith portion of the podcast today, I wanted to share with you a little bit of a personal reflection that I had on Sunday morning. Sunday morning uh, was the morning of my birthday, and Sunday was an awesome day. I spent it with my wife. I spent it with my best friends in church. I spent it um, with my girls, and then we ended up, as I said earlier, having a surprise party, and uh, we spent it with those same friends from church last night. Uh, So it was a great day. It began, however, with me sitting in my red chair in the basement, in the dark, thinking about my life and thinking about God and thinking about God watching me live my life. And so I'm just going to give you a, a little bit of a reflection here on my life. I'm at a very good place in my life spiritually right now. Uh, I hope that what I share with you guys at the end of the podcast is helpful to you, is encouraging to you. Um, I hope it, uh, when needed, calls you to uh, accountability, and um, I hope it offers some insight, and I hope it offers some inspiration. Uh, Mickey Mantle had a famous press conference near the end of his life where he was uh, ravaged by alcoholism and he was dying and he came out and he said, don't be like me. Don't be like me. Uh, I can't say that because right now at this juncture of my life, I believe I'm walking um, according to God's plan for my life. But for a lot of my life, for a majority of the years of my life, I would have to say that I would, I would look back now and I would say, don't be like me. I had um, a great upbringing, every advantage, loving parents, Christian home, everything you could want. And here's the, here's the deal. Here's why I underachieved spiritually in my life. Because I put the things of God in an earthly context. I assumed, and I don't know why I missed this simplicity of the gospel, but I did. I went to church many, many years. As a child, as a teenager, college, throughout my life, I was a regular church attender. I heard all about Jesus Christ. I heard all about the cross. I heard all about the Holy Spirit. I heard all about God's love. I heard all about grace. I never figured out what 
any of that really meant. Because I was pretty certain, not in a not in a rebellious, arrogant way, but I was just putting the things of eternity into the context of the world. How does the world work? Well, the world works like this. If you do good, work hard, be nice to people, they'll like you. If you do bad, if you're not reliable, if you steal, if you cheat, murder, if you're mean to people, you won't get ahead. And so I just figured that had to be how God worked, that I had to be good for God to love me, and I had to be good for God to forgive me. I had to be good for God to look at me as acceptable and take me to heaven. And I don't know that I could have said, and I'm right now I'm baffled why I couldn't have said it, if somebody just said, well, what role does Jesus play in you going to heaven? Like, does he have a hand in that? Honestly, I don't know what I would have said. I would have said, you know, all the things I knew to be true that I'd heard repeated a million times. He's God's son. You know, he. I might have said he died on the cross. You know, he died. I don't know if I'd have said he died for my sins because I didn't have that connection. I didn't connect Jesus at the cross to the necessity of that happening for my sins to be atoned for and for me to be forgiven for them. I didn't connect that. So that's what I was reflecting on in my chair on Saturday morning, like, or Sunday morning, like, how did I miss that? And like, I thought about, you know, here's how I missed that. Because I was so sure I knew the answer. I was so sure I knew how I was, for lack of a better term, going to be graded, going to be judged, how it was going to be determined that I would go to heaven or not was going to be graded on earthly terms. Was I good? Did I do well? Did I achieve? Did I I deserve the reward of heaven? Because that's how the world worked. And I was so sure that's how it must have worked. I just assumed it that I never bothered to listen to any one of the myriad people who said, Jesus died on the cross so you could be forgiven of your sins. It's not you, it's him. I know I heard that a million times. I know I had to have heard it a million times. I know the churches I went to. They weren't heretical churches. I just didn't connect it to me. And I tell you that because I wasted my first 35 years of life. And then even after I figured that out, at a period of great adversity in my life in my mid-30s, I got lazy living out of gratitude for that. And I'd go long stretches of time without growing spiritually at all. And I so regret that now. And so what happened? Well, God allowed adversity into my life and drew me back to him, pulled me back to him. And, you know, I... Sure wish I could change the adversity, some of which still persists today, but I wouldn't change it if it would have to change my understanding of the gospel, nor would I change it if it made me any less passionate about sharing about my faith and about how you can find the same peace in your life here on this podcast. I've had some periods in my life where I've made a really good living. (laughs) This isn't one of them. 
Honestly, this is definitely not one of them. And yeah, that damn that's a blow to my ego, man. It's like that's a blow. Like, what am I doing? Like, why can't I earn what I used to earn? Well, there's a lot of, you know, boots on the ground reasons. But the real reason is because that's not what God has for me right now. I'm doing what he has for me right now. And our bills are getting paid. Our bills are getting paid. We're not saving a lick. And we wonder how we're going to deal with some sudden expenses that have cropped up. But also, like when those things crop up, my wife and I just kind of look at each other and we talk about it. And we don't ever have like any, oh, my goodness. Oh, how are we going to pay for this? We don't have those conversations. The conversations we have are, well, it's not like we went out and bought a Corvette. Like we're sending our kids to we're we're sending our kids to a private school. It's not free. And we thought we'd get we thought we'd get it at a certain investment and it's gonna be significantly more than that. And and but we don't like panic and go, oh, we gotta pull them out or uh oh. we just go, Well, it's gonna be real interesting to see how God provides for this. Now listen. That doesn't mean I sit on my keister and like wait for somebody, you know, wait for something weird to happen when the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. No, that means I get after it at work and try to give God an avenue through which to bless me, right? Like that's what I feel like is my duty. Work hard for him with my witness and with my diligence and all that. And I believe he'll honor that because he has honored that. And I hope I live a I hope I see a bunch more birthdays. I do. Because I feel like this is the most exciting time in my life spiritually. So how could it be not the most exciting time in my life any other way? I don't need to be in a certain tax bracket to feel like my life's fulfilled, the money stuff will get figured out. The money stuff will get figured out. I don't I don't know how. I just know it will. <laughs> and, and if it doesn't, I'll keel over dead someday and then my insurance will pay for it or whatever. It'll 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 work itself out. Again, I gotta do the work. And if I do the work, I'm convinced good things will happen. But the number one work that I have to do is this not the podcast. I don't know how long I'll do that as long as you guys continue to listen to it. But this being tell others about what the joy is out there for them in a life lived for Jesus with him as your guiding light. So let me say this to you and I'll wrap up. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're a young person, 20s, 30s, and you're a Buckeye football fan. And you listen to this podcast for my takes on the Buckeyes or the Browns or whatever. You've stuck with the faith portion of the podcast. You picked up a little bit from the faith portion of the podcast. Or you're aware of all the God stuff, Jesus, Holy Spirit, cross, blah, blah, blah. But it just doesn't connect with you. Um, make an effort to find somebody you trust and talk to them about what you're missing. I saw so many people who had the kind of relationship who, to whom God meant more than it meant to me. And I was 
ashamed and afraid and I don't know why to ask them because nobody who's got God in their life is going to say, oh, sorry, figure it out for yourself because all of us want you to get it too. And so anybody who you ask that question to is going to try to help you and help you understand it. And you can even do this if you don't have anybody like that. Send me an email, make up an email address, make up a phony name, and send me an email, and I promise I won't hunt you down. I'll respond to your email, and I'll try to help you get where you're trying to get. And I would consider that my honor. Uh, I really would. The fondest thing I could ever do in my life is help somebody not make the mistakes that I made just floundering around and missing the awesome life aligned with Jesus, drawing strength from his holy word and serving him in all you say and do. Honestly, man, that's the best thing I got going. And I got a lot of great things going. I got a fantastic wife. I got three beautiful kids. I got so many great friends. I got a great life. But Jesus is the best thing in it. And I'm willing to share him with you if I can help you get there. So that's what I have for you in the faith portion of the podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, patronize the sponsors. Review the podcast on iTunes. Send me an email. We tackle life at gmail.com. We tackle life at gmail.com.